Hello, and welcome to the Sales Compensation Experience Podcast, the ultimate destination for everything about sales compensation design and administration. This is where the complex becomes clear, where theory meets practice, where dark arts meet science. On the experience, we promise to keep things insightful, professional, and let's admit it, just a touch irreverent. So whether you're designing, administering, or getting paid on a sales compensation plan, we've got you covered. So buckle up, because it's time to get experienced. Well, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin, good to see you. Good to see you again. Scott, let's dive right into it. I think today we had chatted about doing part one of a three-part series on the plan design process. And for part one, what we want to cover is plan assessment, discovery, fact-finding. I think in an effort to help the listeners figure out how do they initiate a plan design project and answer that question of what is it that they're trying to achieve? That's right. Usually the, the request comes from the senior leadership and it's in the form of changes for the next performance cycle. And I think for most of the sales organizations that I think of anyway, these cycles tend to be annual. So there's a, a, you know, an idea that w we need to change our plans. And there's a lot of data out in the market. I think World of Work publishes data that indicates most companies, you know, over 75, even 80% tend to go through some kind of plan change initiative annually. So that suggests that there's this kind of ongoing plan cycle. And for some people, they may not have ever gone through this cycle before. So let's talk about that for folks that, so some people have an annual plan and we talk about the idea of they have an annual planning cycle. For people that have quarterly plans, monthly plans, something more frequent, is it the same pace? If you have a, if you roll out a new plan every month, do you have a planning cycle once per month or could you do it for the year and make the little subtle adjustments and tweaks uh, on a more frequent basis? I suppose you could. The, the one thing to keep in mind, since sales compensation is about pay and people's pay, and pay tends to be a rather emotional topic. And when we're talking about salespeople and the types of plans, compensation plans that apply to many salespeople, many sales jobs, there can be quite a bit of pay that is impacted by a change. So having frequent changes can become a little taxing for the sales force if sure. they you know, have to go through a process of understanding, okay, what changed? How must I behave differently? And um, you know, even a skeptic you know, might think that, hey, they're constantly trying to move kind of move the rules around to keep me confused here. So um, frequent change can be I think, disruptive um, when we're talking about changing somebody's compensation approach. Okay. 
Now, it's this first part that I mentioned, the assessment. What types of things should companies be assessing? And then I'll ask who should be doing the assessment within a company. I just had a person that got promoted into the FP&A organization, uh, part of the finance team at a company, and they were asked if they had ever been involved in a sales compensation design project. They knew I had some experience in sales compensation plan design, and they, they, they hit me up with a message saying, hey, why would finance be involved in this? Isn't that an HR thing? And I thought that was really interesting, you know, talking about the different stakeholders. So let's, let's dig into the assessment. What, what should folks be assessing and, and who, what team members should be part of that assessment? Yeah, at a high level, the, the, the thing to be assessed is the performance of the plan. And I think it's an attempt to answer a question or have a point of view on how, how effective are our plans. In the broader context there is how good of a job do the plans do to support the revenue growth strategy? And do typically do you, the, the clients that you've worked over with the over the years, I have my answer to this question, but I'm interested in hearing yours. Do they typically have these reports and analytics at their fingertips? Or are these reports and analytics about assessing the effectiveness of the plan, the impact on revenue, something that's done in a more ad hoc fashion. I think it, in my experience, it tends to be more ad hoc. The more sophisticated a company gets at managing the cycle and uh, completing assessments, being able to report, you know, in a fairly objective way how how well the plan works. Um, that you know, those tend to be. Um, things that I've not <laughs> been a part of, right? Because, you know, in the role of a consultant or, you know, maybe running a department that is really looking to build competency in this area, you know, in, in some, some ways, some instances, you're starting from scratch. So there's not a lot in place. Um, and so that requires, you know, kind of building building the approach, building the processes, or refining the processes that are going to allow this work to happen. Certainly, the, there's a desired state, I think, for a lot of companies that this is something that, you know, is programmatic, that when you, you complete an assessment, it's going to happen at the same time every year. There are the same steps, the same inputs, and, and you know, the same types of outputs. Got it. I only asked the question because I didn't want people to feel like maybe they were the, at the only company that didn't have the, the set of reporting at their fingertips ready to go. I think more often than not, some, in a similar vein, the folks I've worked with over the years, uh, it's an ad hoc type of, of gathering of, of data and producing reports to analyze the plan effectiveness. And I think that people would be a worthy goal to strive to, to, to have those available throughout the year uh, to be able to check in and, and monitor progress as opposed to, to having to recreate from scratch every year. The idea of a consistent process, I think this is a good step towards a, you know having maturity around the process and be able to look year over year, uh, same inputs, same outputs, how are you doing? And then you can refine, I think, the outputs or the, the visualizations, analytics you're doing 
but I like this idea of over time being able to see uh, what changes did you make, what impacts did they have, and you can go back and, and pull from your the, the bag of tricks that you've learned over a period of time. Yeah, and certainly there are a lot of instances that I've seen where uh, the, you know, the process isn't annual, it's ad hoc, it's not particularly formal or sophisticated, but when um, there's you know, an outreach, let's say, to a consultant or somebody's hired, right? They're a sales comp manager or director, and there's this initial request to assess the plan and say, we need, we need to do a plan assessment. There's a few, I think, triggers for that. One that's fairly common is a new sales leader or a new financial leader, could be a new CEO, maybe a new head of HR. But in their discovery, you know, on onboarding, they're coming across issues that they believe are related to the sales compensation plan. And so they, they often conclude that, okay, this needs, we need to look at this. We need to spend some time and understand if, if this is the best way to, um, you know, design and manage our, our program, um, they might have an idea in their minds of how it should look, and it's different from what they're seeing, but they they want kind of an independent review, right? They don't want to bias it, just, you know, based on their, their, own, their own perceptions. Uh, but that leadership change is a common one. Another one is like a big miss. And, uh, you know, let's say the company has had a number of years of pretty steady growth, and then, wow, you know, they really miss their number um, or they have a lot of salespeople that leave for reasons that are thought to be comp-related um, or they end up spending a lot more in a year than what was expected or accrued, you know, given the underlying performance. So there's some kind of event, right, that, that drives this. Um, so I think that's often why it happens and, you know, those circumstances where it's not a real sophisticated, well-oiled process, because in large organizations, we kind of expect this to just be ongoing. Now, your second question was around who, who should be involved. Mm -hmm. And that is really a, a critical question. And if, you know, I think through all the times I've done an assessment, what's gone wrong, certainly one of the most frequent um, causes, root causes, have to do with who's involved and and who's not involved that should be involved and so there's that uh this concept when we're talking about plan design that is cross-functional and um you know having multiple stakeholders involved at different levels and having different committees um different levels of participation and, you know, that can start to make what started as a pretty simple concept idea. Hey, we just need to, you know, look under the hood and see how well our plans are working. Okay, now it's getting very complex because we, we got to get a lot of people involved. Not necessarily. The key point, though, is that sales compensation is not typically not a unilateral effort. It, it's not just about engaging the salespeople. There are, you know, financial controls and, and, and metrics at stake. Um, there are certain legal applications, you know, for a lot of organizations and countries 
So they, there's a lot involved, right? And there should be um, cross-functional involvement. So that so the who is um, yeah m- multiple multiple people really. I'm going to throw out some departments. So obviously, you mentioned new sales leader comes in. Maybe they have some cognitive dissonance to the where, the plan that they came from to the plan they see at the new organization, and they want to to make some changes. So I think that quite often. You know, sales, sales operations as a proxy for the leadership team has to be involved. Um, also, if they're having problems recruiting or, tur- you know, reps being a turnover problem, retention problem, they're going to probably want to have a seat at the table. I mentioned finance earlier. Uh, they certainly uh, probably have access to a lot of the numbers as well as the budget. And they're, you know, oftentimes helping out with that modeling and costing of the plan. I think HR, uh, they oftentimes own pay at companies, sales compensation being part of pay. They also bring to the table the ideas of any regulatory compliance, of fairness issues like equity or um, you know, just fairness around the plan, I think is what they're bringing to the table. Are there any other groups that, that I'm missing? So you you'd mentioned finance, and you know there's often a pretty high share of you know the company's spend that goes into sales compensation. So that's that's on the short list. HR certainly because we're dealing with pay, competitive pay, internal equity, potentially um, sales operations, which you know for many in in many in many industries. It's a, um, you know, it's a function on its own, right? It has to do with the kind of the back office part of keeping uh, a sales function organized and, and focused. It has, has a lot of data in terms of performance data. So that's a, a big piece of it. Sometimes it's, it's legal to make sure that the changes we make don't, um, you know, create issues down the line. Um, IT sometimes is involved because, um, you know, it's a very data intensive exercise and our internal systems, you know, need to keep up with the changes that we, we want to make. So those are other, you know, usual suspects. I think the main ones that you mentioned, you know, the, the, the three legs of the stool are finance, um, sales or sales ops and, and HR. I think we should throw out the term RevOps now as well. I see a lot of companies transitioning from this idea of sales operations into revenue operations. But I think I missed one big set of stakeholders, and maybe it's covered under sales. But at this point of assessment, is there a need or desire or benefit to including the field, the, the, peop- the payees or participants on the incentive plans themselves to gather some data? I believe so. It gets to the point of, you know, when we try to answer the question of who, who should be involved and different levels of the organization. And you think of different committees and bodies of involvement. So who participates and in what capacity? Well, salespeople in, you know, the broader kind of revenue sense, anyone who has accountability for uh, persuading buyers and can influence, can directly influence revenue growth uh, that that could 
could be on a plan, a sales comp plan, as opposed to like a corporate bonus. Well, there's, you know, the, the people that are in those jobs, right, that have a couple key perspectives when it comes to assessment. One is the job. What is the job? And what gets in the way of being successful in that job? So I think getting those perspectives from the people who do the job or attempt to do the job is really important. And so we're talking about, you know, salespeople and, and other people, you know, the go-to-market organization that, again, are responsible for influencing revenue growth. The other perspective that comes from this population that we're talking about, sales reps, let's say, is around compensation. And while I don't believe, you know, we're trying to initiate an activity here where, hey, you can design how you're paid. That's not the intent. But I think there's, you know, a perception that's important around how competitive do they believe their pay is for the work they're doing and how effective is the plan, the incentive compensation plan, at motivating the behaviors that are needed to be successful in their job. So that's where I like to be very specific around the request to say, hey, I think we should have salespeople involved in an assessment. And we can talk about if that's a, you know, online survey or if it's a, you know, these are small kind of focus groups or if it's one-on-one -on -one interviews or all of those things or a combination of the three. And then let's be very clear on what is it, what kind of information do we want from this group and dispel, you know, any notions that, well, hey, you know, we're not, we're not asking them um, to design their plans. That's not the intent. We, we want context. And we want the context from um, the people who are really one of the primary stakeholders of the plan. I think that that leads into this next idea or in the sequence of discovery. What are we trying to, you know, what are the, the pieces of the puzzle that go into this step of discovery? And so the with the sales reps, you know, the vehicle we're using could be a survey, could be interviews, small groups, um, and then what we're trying to to accomplish through that. I think the idea of you know what's motivating. Do they think it's fair? Uh, do they believe that it's competitive? I think that's a really interesting observation. Where I think HR is going to bring potentially benchmarking information to the table about the the job role uh, for that particular level for a particular geography. And so they have an, a, you know, an, a, a data set that will say, you know, is the job paid fairly, compensated fairly? Uh, but the pay philosophy and, and the reps that, you know, sales are trying to recruit or retain, those might be, have a slight disconnect. But the idea that do the reps believe it's competitive? I think that's an interesting question to ask of sales managers and sales leadership as well, and then figure out how to either close that gap of understanding or make some adjustments uh, to the pay levels at the different uh, job levels to try to help change that perception in some way, shape, or form. Mm. Yeah, all that is sensible uh, when the event, kind of the trigger for the assessment uh, is, let's say, a spike in, in voluntary turnover. You know, your, your sellers are leaving. And that's something that I think was a little more common, you know, maybe two years, five years ago, maybe less common today. Um, but that's where certainly, you know, getting perspectives from the people 
who are leaving <laughs> around pay competitiveness or who might leave. Um, there are certainly, though, assessment exercises that maybe don't need to include the salespeople. And so what, what is the problem that we're trying to fix or what's the, uh, what is the ask? You know, what are we trying to test or provide perspective around? It could be uh, plan competitiveness. And there's a perception that, you know, the company's sales comp plans aren't aligned with best practice or market practice. And uh, so the, you know, what we're trying to do then is provide a perspective on best practice and make a comparison or provide market benchmarks, paid benchmarks, let's say, and provide a comparison. You know, how, how do our practices stack up to market practices? Um, a, a, another view, you know, kind of set of things that we're trying to address or questions that we're trying to answer have to do with hypotheses. And so this, you know, can come in the form of, of a variety of stakeholders that have particular views. And, um, you know, th these can be very firmly held views. So let's say that, you know, the CFO believes that the company is just spending too much money for the level of production that it's getting. Well, that's a hypothesis, right? And ideally, we have access to the data that can test the hypothesis as being either true or false. And then, you know, to, to what degree, right? Because if we're, if there's a perception that, hey, we're spending too much money for the revenue we're generating, well, how bad is it? You know, are we talking about a couple percentage points or, you know, are we way off? So the, the um, you know, the path that is kind of hypothesis testing, I think can be helpful to really be specific about what is it that we're after who needs to be involved, and what's the best way to get and test, you know, get the information, the underlying information, and test it. How would you advise companies to think about this idea of chasing down hypotheses like that, and what I would think of as a sniper rifle? You're trying to, you're looking at one problem and seeing one perception or potential problem and seeing, is it truly a problem? And if so, how big of a problem? And then what should we do about that problem? Versus at some level, you know, a shotgun approach to say, hey, there are some best practices around assessing a sales compensation plan. We want to cast a wide net and look to see, are there other areas for improvement in the plan? above and beyond this initial hypothesis, would you, do you, do you see companies like just focusing on what the, their perceived problems are? Or do, do you advise companies to say, let's, let's look holistically at the plan because let's say that's not a problem, but the plan's still not performing. Well, then we need to have some ability to, to diagnose what is going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the comprehensive view a lot of times comes, you know, when th there hasn't been such an effort before. Maybe there's a lot of background noise and whoever is asking for the review and, you know, is in a position organizationally to, to sponsor it legitimately. You just say, that I, there's, I'm getting, you know, feedback from all kinds of different <laughs> angles. You know, some of it is, uh, you know, from bottom up, right? A lot of salespeople are unhappy with the plans top down, we're not, you know, we're not performing well. 
Um, we're not able to hire enough of the talent that we need. We're losing too much of the talent we have. You know, all, it's just coming from different angles. So that's a good situation for a comprehensive assessment. Then I think at that point, what needs to be uh, considered is how much time do we have to work with? Because I always like to, you know, one of my my tips, right, on so many things, and this is one one of those things, is you know thinking about what what is the end state here? What are we what are we working toward? You know, starting there's this expression about starting with the end in mind. Well, many times, right, that what we're working towards is a, a change effort, and if the company operates, let's say, on a calendar or fiscal year, well, they they plan to make changes you know, on or around the start of that, that new fiscal year to their sales comp plans. They recognize that, hey, we have to understand what we're working with here. There needs to be some discovery or fact-finding assessment. You know, that's, that's the first phase of this project. Um, so how much time do we have to work with? You know, do we plan to roll these plans out, let's say, at the kickoff meeting, the sales kickoff meeting on January 10th, and it's... Um, you know, middle of September, well, does that give us enough time to do a thorough assessment and then to propose, you know, to senior stakeholders the changes we want to make, test those changes, and then start rolling them out, communicating, configuring our systems, you know, in a real responsible way. Can we be ready by January 10th? Or, you know, is this something that we have to kind of fast track and maybe be very or relatively narrow in, in what it is that we want to change. So maybe here we're just going to look at pay competitiveness this time around, you know, because we don't have enough time to do a complete, a complete assessment. If the end goal is we want to assess, we want to learn how to assess our plans and have this ongoing process around, you know, determining objectively the degree to which our sales compensation programs align with the needs of the business. That's the end state. Well, then we, you know, I assume we've got a little bit more time, right, to to design and execute a pretty comprehensive assessment approach. Yeah. Two quick questions, and then let's wrap up this part one of the plan design process. When would you advise companies to start taking this hypothetical rollout of plans middle of January at a sales kickoff? When should companies be thinking about starting the assessment? Yeah. There's a rule of thumb, and then there's the uh, kind of reality based on factors that are maybe specific to a company. So the rule of thumb is uh, about two to three months before the launch date, you know, when you plan to introduce the changes. You know, in reality, I think a lot of it... You know, depend whether it should be more, and I, I see seldom circumstances, few circumstances when it would, would be less time, but more time has to do with the maturity of the process. So, if this isn't something the company has ever really done in earnest before, and we're you know trying to be thorough in how how much quantitative input, you know, data based input we're getting in the assessment, and how much qualitative you know, perspectives we're getting from people, um, then, boy, you know, you could argue maybe even six months. Um, or, you know, again, if we're not trying to tie it to a change event, we just want to get better 
at the process, which doesn't happen very often, by the way, because it's really assessment is viewed yeah. more as a means to an end as mean to itself. But you know, then that itself can take six months. And you say, well, God, that's crazy. You know, we only have 70 salespeople and how difficult can it be? Well, you start getting into the data and discover that, wow, we don't do a good job of capturing the data that we need. Uh, and, or we don't really understand what questions we're trying to answer with data. So there's this whole kind of building of the house, you know, that, that takes time. And, uh, I think, you know, a lot of organizations just, you, you don't know, right. If you haven't been through it, you, you don't know. So you've got to allow enough time to kind of build, build the foundation. Yeah. I think most companies have this idea whether cognitively or not, that they're trying to align an incentive plan with the fiscal plan period. So the idea of rolling out the plan in early January, you're going to get people on a plan that hopefully is motivating the right behaviors, driving towards corporate strategic goals like revenue. On the same cycle as the budget cycle, you have an annual number you're trying to hit. Hopefully the plan is in support of hitting that cycle. And as we describe this idea of when people get started, and I know how many folks don't complete the plan at that at that time, what is the, out of the three, either the two or three ideas, what would you say is the biggest error or risk? Is it, if you run out of time, do nothing? Kind of stay the course on the current plan? Take as much time as you need to get it right and roll it out a little bit later within the fiscal year, or three, kind of have this hard and fast mantra of we're rolling something out at the beginning of the year with some idea that maybe it's not perfect and it very well could be not great or wrong. Mm -hmm. If somebody had to pick like or, or stack rank those ideas, any thoughts on that? Well, it depends on the nature of the change. And let's say that there's an assumption that we're not paying competitively and uh, the change would involve increasing the pay for people, multiple people. I guess what I'm getting at, some changes are kind of irre irreversible. So if you were to do yeah. that based on a set of assumptions, you know, increase people's pay, that maybe turned out to be faulty. We didn't do a good job of, you know, uh, market, market pricing. Difficult to unwind. Yeah. Difficult to unwind. Some other things could be, um, you know, a little more certain, like eventually. So let's say moving an organization from a commission plan where they're just paying, you know, 2% or 5%, you know, on, on all the sales to one that's really, uh, you know, based on quotas and on target pay and you know, we're trying to put a little more rigor into the structure of the plans well that's something where i think you, you can kind of create an end state to say this is where we'd like to be this is how we'd like to see our plans look and then based on your readiness um, or lack of readiness how quickly can we get to that end state and so if one of the one of the things that we know we need to to build for is around to have a really good perspective on competitive pay or really be able to measure how effective each one of our components is 
or how effective our SPIF programs are, right? We, we can kind of create, or what, what is the, the end result? We just don't know the particulars of it yet um, or what kind of the underlying, you know, how much the change needs to be. I think then you focus on those things that maybe have limited consequence in, in changing now, you know, in the short term versus later on. So it's kind of like a, a phase or sequenced approach. And so here's an example, right? Let's say that, you know, the company wants to, to um, hold salespeople responsible for, for margin, you know, for gross margin and how they, they price, you know, certain products, not something that's been, you know, done in the plan. They, they want it in the plan, right? Because they, they think it's a key part of the sales job. While getting that measure down so that it's reliable, it's meaningful to the reps, it's suitable for tying at-risk pay to, um, you know, that could require more time than maybe what's viable, um, you know, in our current planning cycle. But we know we want it there. You know, we know we're going to have margin in the plan. So there can be various phases. First, we're going to measure it. We're going to report it. We're not going to tie pay to it, but we're going to make people aware of the measure and how they can influence it. That's phase one. Phase two is, okay, maybe we put a bonus on it. So for those people who have figured out how to increase margin, you're going to earn a little extra money for it. And phase three is, okay, now it's part of your at-risk pay. So it's the consequences, you know, for ignoring this particular part of your job are going to increase because you won't be able to earn, you know, your, your target total cash pay, let's say. Yeah. I love this idea, this concept of what you just described. And I think it fits in very well with my philosophy towards a lot of things business related. Uh, the longer I'm in business, the more I think about this idea of progress, not perfection. And as long as you're making these continuous improvements of some sort along the way of that progress, I think you're in pretty good shape. I do see a lot of paralysis by analysis where people get uh, caught up and they're un unwilling or unable to make a decision of A versus B or A versus B versus C. And, you know, then they try to get a consensus decision or they try to, you know, come to some, some way of, of coming to a, an action and they just never get there and then they run out of time. So I'm a big fan of let's make progress. And if that is the idea of putting a report in place for a while to see, you know, to, to, to test it with the reps and show them how they can influence. I really like this idea of how to, how to move forward when you, for one reason or another, can't make that decision, continue to make progress. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, benchmarks, benchmarks are good examples of that. Uh, hey, I, you know, leader says, I got to have a benchmark for this. I want to know how many of our competitors use margin as a component in their plans. Well, let's say we can't get that information. Tough benchmark, like, yeah. Yeah, so are, you know, is that going to keep us from making any progress at all? Is it just a dead issue if we can't get a benchmark? Or is it something that we'll continue to work toward and maybe we can make incremental changes of low consequence? Because we, the reason we want a benchmark is because this is the direction that we'd like to head in. All right, Scott, one final thing. If you want to tee up what people can expect 
in the next part of the three-part series around sales compensation plan design process. What's part two going to look like? Well, what are we designing? So what changes are we we going to make? We've, we've made a conclusion through a successful assessment uh, phase that we have um, a number of clear opportunities for um, changing and improving the plans so that they're more alignment in stronger alignment with our with our business objectives uh, so what is that what does that look like and this is really about building building a plan we know what we want to fix so then how how does the solution look specifically all right well thank you so much for exploring this topic with me part one i look forward to part two and we will chat soon been my pleasure thanks justin and that wraps up another episode of the Sales Compensation Experience. Our goal with the experience is not just to share knowledge, but to spark conversations. So don't be shy. If you have feedback, questions, topic ideas we should cover, or a guest you think we should interview, let's continue the conversation at our exclusive LinkedIn private community called the Sales Compensation Experience. We hope you'll join us there. Until then, keep challenging the status quo and never stop learning.